On this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast, we're joined by Project Director Jordan Shealy at Jerusalem Farm as they prepare to celebrate their 10-year anniversary. I'm glad to be here today at the farm. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Yeah. You know, um, you guys are early risers. I got here at 10 and you're already <laughs> halfway through your work day, it looks like. Yeah, we're not too early, but we, we, uh, we try to start fairly decent. We gather for prayer first and breakfast together as a community and then start our day. And today we have um, rocker students that are with us volunteering. Um, That's awesome. So. And it looks like you're working on a new house project up the street. Do you want to talk about that? Um, sure. Yeah, so we um, are starting a land trust and this house up the road from us has been vacant. I want to say for almost a year or more now. And wow. Our whole 10 years of being here, it's kind of been on and off vacant, uh, out of state investor has owned it and kind of neglected the property, um, bringing tenants in, in and out without making any major repairs. And after a while of hunting them down, we uh, were able to acquire the house. And now we're trying, our goal is to fix it up, sell it at cost, which will be reduced because our labor is all volunteer. Um, and preserve some affordability in the neighborhood, um, which has seen rapid increase in housing prices. So yeah, definitely in Pendleton the Heights, there's a ton of gorgeous houses, but it's also a pretty competitive market. Right. Yeah. I mean, houses have been, you know, selling as soon as they're listed or overpriced, and yeah. So. Well, it's cool to have those opportunities <laughs> right here in the neighborhood. Um, for those who aren't familiar, explain a little bit about what Jerusalem Farm is. Jerusalem Farm is a intentional community. Um, we are a Catholic intentional community. Um, not all of us are Catholic and we're welcoming to all people um, that we serve and that volunteer with us, um, regardless of their faith or um, religious identity. But for us, that's why we do what we do. And we're an intentional community, meaning that we all live together um, in between two houses that we own. And we share life together. We work together. We share meals together. Um, none of us make any sort of like salaries or hourly wage. We receive um, stipends and then our housing and food are, is provided for. Um, so for us, we're essentially full-time volunteers um, in the community. And we're kind of rooted in these four cornerstones we call prayer, community, service, and simplicity. And then principles of what we call Catholic social teaching, which are really, um, I think, common values that people across all faiths hold and non-faiths. Just the idea of human dignity and the value of each person, um, ideas of caring for creation, um, solidarity, living with one another, and standing up for the rights of workers. Um, so kind of those cornerstones and those values guide our decisions and how we like to approach our work in the community and why we live the way that we live. So that's a long answer about who we are. <laughs> but That's great. And, you know, in such a material-focused world, mm -hmm. I'm sure living that simplicity gives you time to focus on other things. Yeah, I mean, they all, what's beautiful, they all blend together so well. So we say that, like, things aren't 
bad like we don't say that materials are evil or anything like that but sometimes people put materials over people and so our kind of idea with community and simplicity is that yeah we're focusing on building relationships with one another with people in our community um, as opposed to focusing on whatever other material goods and so that even means when we're utilizing our resources we're trying to be conscious about that like so with our tool library for instance thinking about oh we don't um, not everyone needs to own everything like we can um, cultivate an attitude of sharing and we do that within our community with sharing of vehicles and sharing of other things and so we're trying to also extend that attitude of community and sharing um, on the broader scale as well so kind of putting people over you know things I think you know the tool library in particular is a fantastic resource especially in you know this community that has many houses that are over a century old you don't need to buy every single tool if you're only going to use it once twice a year right you know you can come here we can all share <laughs> yeah and actually it kind of we stumbled into it in a lot of ways too because as i was visiting homeowners that were requesting our services after meeting them and having a conversation i would quickly learn like oh this person actually knows how to do the work they just don't have the resources to buy the materials and they don't have the tools so then i would just ask the question like hey if i got you the tools and the materials would you be able to you know do this and after hearing you know and having confidence that they knew what they were doing the answer was many times yes and so that's we started lending out our tools and um, providing the loan for materials and um, so yeah and it helped us you know serve more people I guess in that way because people were taking care of their own situations and um, I think it also brings a lot of dignity to people to be able to help themselves as well um, when they're able to of course sure so we're coming up quickly on 10 years how did your slim farms get started yeah so my wife and i um, were living in a community in uh, west virginia called nazareth farm and um, we had some friends here in kansas city um, particularly one uh, dave armstrong he's the director of campus ministry at avila university and uh, he would bring students out to west virginia the whole time that we were there so we kind of built this relationship and at the time I guess the Don Bosco Center owned this building and they were undergoing a number of changes with their community center and um, he had heard about this building being vacant and kind of it was his dream and vision of like oh what if there is a community like this one that I've been bringing students to here in the urban setting. And so he called us one day and was like, do you want to try to start a new community in Kansas City? And I was like, no, why would I? <laughs> why would I want to do that? Like Kansas City, I thought it was all flat. I thought I was in Kansas. Like I'm from California. My wife is from Michigan. I've never been to Kansas City. And I had all the like stereotypes about the Midwest. Sure. Um, and so he's, he's like, no, you should come and see. And so my policy is like, never say no right away. Like I usually try to investigate or give the benefit of the doubt. So we came out here and saw the place and toured Kansas City. And instantly we were just in love with Kansas City and the people that we met and this building. And so we just 
decided to give it a shot. So I like to tell people I did not plan on coming here. It was just kind of a out of the blue opportunity um, that we just couldn't um, pass up. And we're just so grateful it's become our home. Um, we don't have any plans moving. We're raising our family here. And I couldn't ask for a better neighborhood, for a better city. I feel really blessed in that way. Um, and our, yeah, our community's grown. And I'm just really, yeah, also proud of the relationships, hospitality we've been shown by many people that live in these neighborhoods um, that we've been able to work with. And um, yeah, I feel like we're really building a strong um, community here. Um, so, yep. So how many people <clears throat> live within Jerusalem Farm? So it always fluctuate, fluctuates a little bit. Um, right now, between um, our houses, there's eight, I think about 18 of us total, and that's counting, including children. Um, so my wife and I have three kids. There's another family that has two kids. Um, and then there's you know a number of single individuals that all um, live with us. And um, yeah, people make initially like a year commitment um, but we try to structure our community where it could be a place where you could raise a family or live long-term um, communally if that's something that you desire. Um, so we're always striving to make it a hospitable place for that, but community life can be tough sometimes too. Sure. So, <laughs> so how, do, how do you know those young adults end up here? Yeah, so people here, all different ways people hear about Jerusalem Farm. So some, some people come here when they're a high school student on a retreat, because we host retreats for like Rockhurst University or different schools, even from around the country. So we have schools from Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, and then in the Midwest, Nebraska, and in Kansas City. So some of the high school students come here, they have a great week, they want to come back, they spend a summer with us, maybe when they're a college student um, for like an internship, and then they, when they graduate college, they want to join our community. Um, some people just find us on um, internet searches looking for intentional communities. Um, we're in a couple of um, kind of resources that advertise like faith-based communities. Um, and then other people just hear about us in the community and inquire and maybe, you know, particularly since the pandemic, we've had a lot of people that are just really seeking community. I think a lot of a year of isolation for a lot of people um, caused them to reevaluate their their life, really. I mean, their relationships, their work, their purpose. and. Um, so we've had a number of people that have asked us, you know, since then that are seeking a change in the work that they do or a change in um, their living situation. And um, so, yeah, many different ways people come to us. It's pretty cool that, you know, you know, coming from all over the country to this place to serve yeah. this neighborhood. Right. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So what were those first few years like, kind of establishing Jerusalem Farm, getting to know the community, getting to know Kansas City? Um, abundant, I was <laughs> <laughs> in all the positive and all the negative ways, but it was, um, I mean, <clears throat> starting a nonprofit 
we had no funds when we moved here. Um, the Don Bosco Center was so gracious. They gave us a dollar a year lease initially. And this building, which was slightly in disrepair, not slightly, it was in some disrepair. <laughs> and um, my family and I just moved in here and we're living in this room back here that was an office and had to fix up the inside. And um, so, and we had yeah no money and slowly we're getting small grants here and there but um so that so some of that was a little stressful it was exciting too because we were really passionate about it um but yeah it was like i mentioned a little bit earlier just the um friendliness of people in the community getting you know instantly we started getting involved in um our church community in the Don Bosco Center at the time had like a schoolyard garden over here and we started as soon as we could putting out the word um, some of our first clients were people that went to St. Anthony's about our willingness just to help with home repair that was our skills so that's why we offered home repairs because we knew that and um, so yeah but just the the friendliness and welcome you know people had I think different understandings and stereotypes like thoughts of who we were or sure. what we were and some of them were pretty funny we were called like the catholic hippies or you know some people knew us just by our compost program which we started pretty soon or pretty early on um, our community garden work and our home repair work you know depending on how people interacted with us i think we were a bit of a mystery for a while but um we had chickens we have gardens some of our the first people that welcomed us was this family from Iraq that came over and fed our chickens every day and then started bringing us food and they were new to the country as well and so for me it was just really beautiful to like we were new to Kansas City they were new to Kansas City and the country and together we were just bonding over the chickens in these gardens and they didn't speak much English I didn't speak any uh, Arabic and um, but there is still this connection and we, we're still friends with them today and that was a common thing with many of the immigrants um, families that we met in the in the neighborhood um, that we were able to build those similar type of relationships um, so yeah that's great because you know if you're a new American or you're new to Kansas City you're looking for that same type of community right that many people come here to find yeah, yeah, and I tell people all the time, like, gardening is such a common, like, language. Like, everyone eats, you know, most people around the world still grow food or are connected to their food system a little more intimately than we are. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was a good kind of commonality. It's time to take a break to thank our sponsors. Shemekas Online Market in Delhi, offering catering and nationwide shipping at shemekasonline.com. Find their new deli at 16th and Swift in North Kansas City. Shemekas, where customers become friends and friends become family. From classics to campers, hot rods to hoopties, Seaberg Muffler, your exhaust headquarters since 1974. Armor Road in Burlington in North Kansas City, Missouri. And now back to the newscast. So tell me a little bit more about your home repair program, because that's kind of you know taken off yeah it's the big thing we do now it's probably most of our work and most of our funding goes towards that i just saw a number which blew my mind because um, i don't realize how much but um to me it's a big number i guess my wife in doing the numbers for this 10-year celebration um, had gone back and realized we've invested about five million dollars into the northeast community since wow. we've been around and 
Um, and it's just increasing this year with grants alone. We've um, doubled our budget. So we're at the highest budget. We might reach a million dollars for such a long time. Our budget's been around like $200,000, $150,000. And for whatever reason this year, we've just been um, blessed. And I think a lot of the hard work that our community's put in, people have been realizing that we have an effective program. Um, I like to say that you know money that comes to Jerusalem Farm, we're not receiving salaries. Like we, our overhead costs are super low, and our goal and priority is just to put all the resources back into the community. Um, and we kind of see that as a redistribution of wealth in a lot of ways. So even the volunteers that come and spend a week with us, they're working the whole week on a project, but they're also paying to come for the week. And then we use those funds to fund our home repair program. And so I tell them, because a lot of them are coming from like wealthier private, you know, Catholic schools and wealthier families. I tell them like, this is a redistribution of wealth. Like, this is important that you're putting your resources and your labor into this um, because for, such a long time in Kansas City and nationally, um, communities like the Northeast and the East Side have been systematically like disinvested or people, you know, have intentionally with redlining and so forth, um, families haven't had an opportunity. And so some of the work that I see us doing is, you know, giving to families what they deserve and what they've, you know, has been withheld from them in a lot of ways. And so that's reflected in our home repair program. Um, our labor is all free. Um, the homeowners do pay for the cost of materials. Um, they can pay monthly with a no interest loan that we provide. Um, and we don't always charge the full amount for materials either because a lot of people, because of the financial situation, will choose to use a lesser quality material, maybe a stick-down tile instead of something else. And so we, we'll upgrade, we'll add more insulation, we'll use a better quality paint, we'll you know, use a better quality flooring material, and we'll subsidize that cost. Um, and our goal, I mean, is as you see in the Northeast, there's a lot of investments and there's a lot of people fixing up their houses and we want everyone's house to rise the same. So everyone reaps the benefits of that. Um, and so if, you know, one house is being fixed up with all the quality materials, another one is like barely, you know, able to keep up, to us that would be an injustice. And so that's a lot of what we're doing. Um, but then it, our program really kicked off when we became aware of the, um, code violation work in the in the area and it blew my mind i had no awareness you know not being involved like this in a city before that um you know there's code inspectors that go out there and write tickets for the condition of people's houses until i had this 80 year old lady call me on the phone and she was in tears and was telling me she was referred by the Don Bosco Senior Center. Um, and she called me and says, I have a blue tarp on my roof. My roof is leaking. I can't, I don't have the money to fix it. I'm getting bids for like $8,000 and I don't have that. She's was on a fixed income. She owned her home like so many seniors that we serve. They own their homes. They lived them in their whole life and they're making like $700 a month or $800 a month, maybe 600, depending on when they, you know, started receiving their social security and so they're just barely you know getting by and then now she has this leaking roof she can't fix and she's getting tickets from the city and in the letters they were saying if you don't pay your tickets and you or show up to court you face jail time and warrants or whatever and you know it's just scary language and she said I've 
never been to court my whole life and she was feeling like a criminal because she had a leaking roof and so I, I was like no this can't be true <laughs> like this is crazy and so I went to court with her and met the judge and I told him I was like you know we're not going to be able to fix this house within the 30 days we have projects lined up but we're going to fix her roof and can you please not find her and give her some time and he's like so who are you <laughs> like and i you know told him about it he's like okay i'll give you a chance and we did it and he ended up forgiving her fine and then after that it's like you know someone hears about it and i start getting all these calls and the, and the Don Bosco Center started referring more people. And that's where I discovered it was such a kind of rampant thing in the Northeast that people are facing these code violations, unable to make the repairs, and then on top of that, paying money that they don't you know, have to the city. And so we started organizing and, and trying to kind of reform the code violation work and keep people out of the court systems. and. Um, and also keep you know people who can't afford <clears throat> senior citizens in their homes. Yeah, keep I mean, them in their homes because that's how people lose it, lose their homes is when they go without water, when they rack up code violations, they can't pay their property taxes. So kind of a lot of our efforts now are are doing just that, like keeping people in safe, dignified housing um, where they can age in place or where they don't have to move to a different neighborhood or face losing sure. their house. Yeah. And you know, with this kind of housing crisis that we're experiencing. How important is it to protect and, you know, maintain the housing stock that we have here in Northeast? Yeah, I mean, you just said it. <laughs> I think everyone knows. I mean, we have, we have a lack of housing in Kansas City when you look at people that need it, and particularly a lack of affordable housing. Um, and you see rising homelessness, um, which is such a complex issue, and um, I... I'm grateful for the people that are trying to, you know, work hard on every day meeting with folks living on the streets and trying to give them resources. But so many times we get people come to us all the time. I need a house. My house burned down. Where can I go? Or, you know, whatever reason they need a place to rent or a place, place to buy. And so the idea that we would allow people's in their homes their situation to get worse to where they're also going to be in the same situation. Like we can't afford to do that. And so that investment, I think, as a community to preserve the housing stock that we have, I think is so essential um, because it's easier to do that um, than, you know, tear down and build new, I think, in a lot of cases. So. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the costs of construction materials at this time. I just can't imagine building new. Right. <laughs> um, what other services, you know, are open to the community through Jerusalem Farm? Yeah, so the home repair, the code violation. In Pendleton Heights, we have a curbside compost program um, you can become a member of. Um, and we, um, we have a position we call the community companion. Um, it's, it's just what it sounds like. It's someone that their goal is just to stay in contact with people that we work with and check in on them and maintain re relationships and friendships. But also through that, we discover that a lot of people systems in um you know missouri and the city are so complicated like food stamps or many people don't know that if you're a senior you can get your property tax rebated back to you like refunded um, or that you can be on different payment plans or there's 
an electrical utility program, you know, through Salvation Army. And so the community companion we have, we don't have like any of that funding to like pay someone's water bill, but they will help direct that person to the right people um, or help fill out paperwork. Um, and so um, that's one kind of new position that we started. Um, so that's great. One of my coworkers has been working with um, a few of his, I guess, friends who just moved here from Afghanistan mm. to try and get them driver's licenses. Yes. And the process is so complicated unnecessarily. Yeah. <laughs> and but just having somebody who speaks the language and who can go with you and kind of wade through all those forms, I'm sure is a huge help. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's you. Every system is like that, right? And if you don't speak English, or if you don't know how to read, or I mean, even I hate paperwork myself, so I don't do that job because I suck at paperwork. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a big barrier for people. So, talking about your 10-year anniversary, you know, what's kind of the plan for the celebration? Oh, it's kind of grown. Um, we are on May 1st, this is a Sunday, and um, we're going to start with a, with a Mass at St. Anthony's, and that's the parish that a lot of us go to. Um, and Bishop Johnson's coming, which we're excited about, um, just to have, um, yeah, that um, unity within our faith around the work that we're doing in the community. And um, so... You know, that's a, we could do a whole nother podcast on my thoughts on the Catholic Church, but <laughs> we won't do that. Um, but, um, but yeah, so we're excited for that. But then afterwards, we're just having a celebration. And so every year, um, every year we do this donor appreciation dinner. And for us, we're kind of, we, we kind of reject some of the high scale nonprofit fundraisers. Um, I've been to a lot of them and I know they're highly effective for lots of organizations and they make a lot of money, but just something about that, we wanted this event to be in the Northeast, rooted in the Northeast, accessible, like we are inviting the homeowners. We want everyone to feel comfortable. And sometimes some of those events, if you're not, you know, some of the wealthiest people, you don't feel the most comfortable or welcome. Um, and so our event is not a fundraiser. Um, it's more of a gratitude, a celebration of 10 years. There is like a little fundraising with our silent auction that we have for those that want to participate. But even if you look at those items, a lot of them are experiences offered by our community members. So um, coming and cooking at your house or throwing a movie or little crafts that we made in the wood shop. So we're trying to keep it fun and relational and we'll have some food. Um, we try to purchase all of our food locally um, from different restaurants. So like I know some tamales from Elvira's and we went to some of the different um, African restaurants to get some meats and rice and beans. And um, I'm not in charge of that, so I don't know exactly, but I know it's all from local Kansas City or Northeast uh, restaurants. And um, we're gonna have some drinks that were donated from various breweries and um, distilleries. And we'll have, uh, band, the Salvation Choir, which is a local band um, from the, the neighborhood. Uh, I think uh, Congolese Roomba is what they're they great. say. Have you seen them? <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to be playing and um, it should just be a good time. So, yeah. That's fantastic. And I'm sure um, a huge milestone for you guys. Yeah, time kind of flew by, but we're excited. And our theme this year is expanding or widening circles. And I guess that's in reflecting on the 10 years, just seeing 
the ways that our circles have widened and the way that we're trying to connect people with one another. Um, and, you know, the Northeast is so diverse um, in many different ways. And I think that's the richness of it, is that if we can all learn to appreciate one another just for who we are and to live with one another and, and widen all of our circles, that's kind of our goal is to put that energy into the neighborhood. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so looking forward, how, how do you see Jerusalem Farm evolving? Yeah, so one, you know, we're, um, we kind of have some, in this visioning process we just did, um, some broader goals. And we kind of narrowed it down to these three main themes. So just caring for the natural environment, um, so things that we do like with Cliff Drive or with our compost program or the community gardens, um, we have solar panels on our roof. Um, those are some things that really intrigue us. Like how can we better and live in harmony with the natural environment? Um, and that would even include like maybe we would love to be able to make solar panels accessible to residents in the Northeast because oftentimes those are reserved just for the wealthy that can afford them. but folks on lower incomes need you know the utility break the most and so how can we find the right partnerships and the right plan and the right investments to be able to provide you know solar panels so that's you know a dream um, that hopefully maybe 10 years from now we'll be doing this sure. and we will have installed x amount of solar panels in the northeast on residents homes that would be great um, but other care for creation projects um, caring for people and cultivating that attitude of care for people so viewing our residents that live on the streets and our residents that live on the in our houses like how do we build community with one another and really view each other as you know responsible for one another um, and it doesn't mean we're not going to start any sort of like homelessness program but there are slight ways in the ways that we interact with the neighborhoods and the work that we do that we can cultivate those attitudes um, and then our home repair and housing is always going to be our number one focus and this year at our 10 year we're announcing a little campaign that we're going to start it's um we're going to try to raise three hundred thousand dollars and that will allow us to start this land trust that we're working on. And our goal will be to acquire um, houses in the Northeast and maybe some other areas um, to rehab them with our volunteers, um, keeping costs low, just at the cost of materials, and then selling them at that cost. Um, and we have some key partnerships with some other organizations um, that will help with um, homeownership like classes and um, access to loans and financing and so forth. Um, so we're really hopeful that this team we're pulling together is gonna make a big difference for you know allowing a lot of people to become first-time home buyers and then at the same time preserving long-term affordability in the Northeast. Um, it's gonna be fantastic to see that, especially you know, north of the avenue because I know Lycans, right. the Lycans Land Trust has been working hard down there, Yeah, but we need it in our neighborhoods up here too. Yeah, and the Lycans Land Trust, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they're doing 
primarily just rental properties. And um, also they have a lot of vacant lots that they're, they're working that they're gonna be <laughs> That they're gonna build some new homes, right? Um, so yeah, it'll be similar to that. And I, and I think any, any efforts in that way are positive because there's no one group. Jerusalem Farm can't do everything, you know? And so the idea of me, you know, one of our ideas is that it would be great, yeah, in these trusts, like how can people preserve affordability, community can have ownership over these homes and um, and keep the wealth within the community and keep people within the community. So That's great, we're excited yeah. to see it. Well, thank you so much for letting me come and see Jerusalem Farm and learning more about it today. Um, we're excited to share with the community and continue you know, keeping up with all the exciting things you're doing. Great, thanks, and thanks for letting me um, talk for long lengths, I'm sure. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks for people are listening to That's great. Too.